When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I need to tell you, we are going to take things in a very different direction today because we're not going because we're not going to talk about the movies, but a television show about Star Trek, specifically Star Trek: The Next Generation, and even more specifically, I think the two greatest episodes of TNG, which were the best of both worlds, parts one and two. And we're going to explore the show. We're going to. I'm going to try to argue that all of Star Trek flowed from these two episodes. It is some of the greatest science fiction I have ever seen. And to the, and 30 years later, I think it holds up and perhaps even more so. So Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative and myself are going to take up the best of both worlds, part one and two from Star Trek, The Next Generation. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. So I hope we've set a high bar, Megan, but I'm really looking forward to it. First of all, thank no you for agreeing or anything. to do But I propose that you took at least 15 seconds to respond by email, so I was thrilled. But it's a two-part episode, a cliffhanger. It was episodes 75 and 76 of Star Trek Next Generation. It was the end of episode three and the start of episode four. One of the reasons it's deemed so important in the not only TNG, but Star Trek canon was. The first two seasons of Star Trek were, I would say, fraught with difficulties. Part of it was because the series started during a writer strike, so the regular writers couldn't be used. Part of it was, frankly, Gene Roddenberry was near the end. He had substance abuse problems, and he just wasn't running on all cylinders. Part of it was the new regime at Paramount, who really didn't understand the Star Trek ethos and the Star Trek world, and, and, Rodden, he and they and Roddenberry didn't get along. So the show was really trying to find its feet. The head writer left. I even found one article that said there were hints Picard was at the airlock door, which I had not heard before. But all questions were, this was action, this was human drama, this was one of the great, gut-wrenching transformations I've seen in television. I can't really say enough about this. And maybe I should just start with episode one with some of the themes I wanted to explore to you, with you. And the first was Riker in command. A Star Trek, a Starfleet commander, Commodore rather, lands or transports above on, on the Enterprise with his Lieutenant Commander Shelby. And the commander's hands, Commodore's Hanson, 
and he tells Picard that Riker has been offered the Melbourne. Riker's been offered three, two other commands, and he's turned them down. We didn't know that. We didn't know the reasons. And Hanson basically says, this is it. This is his last chance. And if he doesn't take it, he's not going to get it, and you need to bust his chops into line. So with that introduction, what did you think about that whole story, Megan? Oh, I thought it was great. There were a lot of really fun elements in there. So there was Riker and his relationship with Picard. Riker's personal choices about what he wants to do with his career and how he wants to be engaging with the crew and his team or having his own. And then there was the insert of Commander Shelby, who is fantastic and playing the role both as a subject matter expert on the Borg and also Riker's mirror into his past self. There's no way he'd be able to really understand, I guess, what being a captain like Picard would mean without having a second like himself. So I thought that was really fun. And as I was watching this episode and looking at this internal struggle he seems to be having about whether or not he wants to be a captain or not, he spent so much time working with Picard and he loves his crew and he's always been the person to go and get things done. And I mentioned to you this to you just before we we started the call, but I think deep down Riker's more of a Janeway than a Picard. Because Captain Janeway, if you remember anything from Voyager, if there's ever the chance of a suicide mission, she is 110% going to go. There's absolutely never any doubt in her mind. And I think that's more Riker's style than Picard, who is more measured and is more willing to say, I do need to stay here for the stability and to keep things going. So I'm going to send other people out to do dangerous things. I think that would be really hard for him. And I think that's something he was struggling with in the outset of this episode. Of course, he has to deal with it head on as we get more into it, but I'll leave you to talk about that. Well, he had a different take. Oh, yeah. And I say this from personal experience. It was fear. He was afraid to go to the next step. And there were times in my career, particularly early, earlier in my career, where I was offered just plumb positions. And I made up some excuse, wasn't right, or the money wasn't right, or blah, 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 online, because I was just too afraid to take them. And I don't think I've told my story on this podcast, but part of my story is uh, in an incident, I learned that most people understand when one door closes, the universe generally opens a second door. But what I learned was you have to have the courage to walk through that door. And that was a big lesson for me from another event. And so that's how I saw it through the lens. But one other way, and I have to say, once again, a very personal experience was Troy talking to him Mm because they had been formerly involved, uh, clearly in a relationship. It's been a, was a story theme throughout TNG. And she said, you lost me because all you did was work. And now you're not taking the opportunity that you lost me over. And pretty personal. I heard that more than once. And unfortunately, I did that more than once. And so I completely understand that. But the other part was, I think Riker realized that, yeah, I lost you. And I'm not going to do that again, even though I'm not involved with someone. I'm not going to make that define who I am and all of me all the time. So that was the themes I saw in that part. The scene with Troy, one, it really struck home to me. But two, it really showed there was that I thought Riker had growth, but he couldn't take that next step. And I think that was simply fear. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure if I completely agree on the fear. I think 
because he does so many of the things that he would be afraid of in that situation all the time. And anyway, he's an excellent leader, a reasonable delegator. He is a great strategic thinker. Yeah, I'm maybe fear of responsibility, a fear of not being able to participate or not being able to be on the front line. Well, certainly a fear of responsibility. And once again, <laughs> I can claim that. Let's move yeah. to Shelby because you touched on her and you were right. She was a fabulous character. She was a complete fireball. And I know this was acting and I know it's a screenwriting script, but she was a SME on the board. <laughs> and she was going to tell you that whether you were ready, whether you wanted to hear it or not. She maybe did it a little abrasively. Frankly, I was... I thought, I bet if a guy talked to another guy like that, he wouldn't think twice. But this short little petite blonde <laughs> fire saying, well, here's what you need to do, boys. But she was just great. And your point, holding up the mirror to Riker, that part was fabulous because they were mirrors of each other. They were in competition with each other. They worked. She worked for him. So they were subordinate and uh, superior and we saw so many dynamics just in that relationship. So your thoughts on Shelby? Yeah, the first thing I wrote down was, oh, I like Shelby. <laughs> Starting the episode, that was my first note. Actually, right after the, the note about how I appreciated the Admiral or the Commodore's self-awareness in the fact that, yes, he does find her compelling in various ways, but was not going to use that, not going to disrupt her career because of that, which I appreciated. But uh, yeah, just as a character acting alone, like I know it's well in the future and everyone's enjoying luxury space communism, but it was still made in the 90s. And gender parity, I think, theoretically exists in the Star Trek universe, but it does not appear on screen. So I'd imagine this woman coming up through the ranks has become very comfortable with acting first and getting permission after, just as a way to expedite what was going to happen eventually. Really, the character and, and how she came about. I like the way she just got things done. That's something I can really respect. Someone who has that attitude, I bet struggles in the military a little bit because there is such a chain of command. So it was really nice to see that and see her being so effective and ultimately also learning to be a little more collaborative, which often comes with more agent experience. So next is for me, the term itself, Wolf 359. Because mm -hmm. if you say that out loud, almost anywhere in North America, somebody <laughs> is going to respond. And that has become so iconic. But there really was substance to that term because the first scene when the Enterprise gets, and we'll find 359 refers to a rendezvous point, where the Starfleet took on the Borg and was decimated, destroyed. And it, as the Enterprise went through and saw the not dis disabled, the destroyed ship, so Hansen's flagship was destroyed. The Melbourne was destroyed. Which Riker uh, could have been on. <laughs> which Riker would have been on. Exactly. Hanson's dead. It was such, to me, a powerful scene. And it showed me in that scene the power of the Borg and mm -hmm. that they were not Klingons. They were not Romulans. Yes, the Klingons are fierce warriors. Yes, the Romulans are devious. They are both superior enemies when they have or have been enemies or continue to be, but they didn't destroy Starfleet or the Federation. The powers were relatively equal, and that was not true with the Borg. And we had a new enemy. It wasn't a new sheriff in town. It was a new bad guy in town. And we better come up with something, and we better come up with something quick. But that, that first scene was just, to me, as stark a destruction, destructive scene as I've seen on TV science fiction. Yeah, I thought there was a really interesting, again, a mirror in 
the two main destructive and horrifying things that happened. So the, the destruction of Wolf 359 and the Armada that was there. And also the assimilation of Picard into Locutus. Both of these terrible things happened and we only ever saw the aftermath. There was no, we didn't actually see the battles. We didn't actually right. see assimilation. I thought that was Excellent. really interesting. They just let us, wait, thank you for giving us credit as an audience for being able to imagine the horror. But I thought, they, like, why do you, do you, what do you think about that strategic choice? Why do you think they didn't show either of these things happening? So I wondered not so much about the assimilation, but certainly the battle. And I think that they understood that seeing the destruction without what caused it was more powerful. And we're Walking going through a from, graveyard. Yeah, we're the Enterprise is somewhat damaged, so they they limp into Wolf Three Five Nine, and that's why they were not there. But if I had seen the destruction and seen the horror of the battle, uh, that part might have been horrific for me. But the just just a sense of complete mm-hmm. destruction would not have been there. And maybe we should credit the screenwriters for not only giving us credit for having imagined it, but making it more powerful. In that way, and that really leads to what I had now down next, which was the cap of Picard, because the Borg wanted Picard specifically. And I thought about that for a long time. And since it's the Borg, you have to assume everything's planned. But do you think they had targeted him personally and specifically? I don't know if it was personally and specifically. I don't know if the Borg can think in that way. But I think they had identified the Enterprise as the strongest ship. And I think that was maybe the quality that was the most important to them. So they picked the strongest person on the strongest ship and said, this is going to be our speaker to try to ease our way into the Alpha Quadrant. Good choice. (laughs) But yeah, I don't think it was personal on the individual human level. I think it was personal on the has been identified as top dog level. What about yourself? I felt like the Borg, everything was planned. Everything was thought out. So I had assumed they had targeted Picard. But your point about the Enterprise being the strongest, absolutely. And once again, if they hadn't been injured or partially disabled in the prior encounter with the Borg before Wolf 359, they would have been at Wolf 359 and probably in the front line and probably destroyed. And ultimately, Uh, let's just take a moment to put credit where credit is due. Thanks, Q, for all of this. (laughs) Starting the whole thing. I thought about that, too, because I had to go back and review that episode where we are introduced to the Borg. And at, when I first saw it and on rewatching, I thought about this is just more Q shenanigans. But after rewatching The Best of Both Worlds and then going back, I think he was warning us. Uh-huh. I that think that Q was actually looking for out for humanity there. Mm-hmm. Now, he did it his way, but I think he was saying, you guys better get ready because they're either coming or they're going to come. Be. Yeah. Could be. Okay. Okay, so Picard gets captured, and mm-hmm. we have a fabulous, one of my favorite away team moments. <laughs> when Shecker's going to lead the away team, Troy says, no, you can't do that. You're the captain. So he reluctantly allows Shelby to lead it. We have further introduced to the Borg when we find that they don't pay any attention to the humans yeah. that are on their ship. And the drone, not the drones, the worker bees, and they find Picard's uniform. And as they're leaving, they see Picard. He's been assimilated. So we're to Locutus of Borg, and I'm going to turn <laughs> it over to you. 
Tell me how you felt about Lacutus aboard. Oh, the first thing is kind of like the sinking feeling in your stomach, right? Where you see that that face and that profile that's so familiar, just mangled with the technology. And then hearing the come out of his mouth is really horrifying, especially because it had just been preceded by his, I guess, his farewell speech almost. The, our culture is about freedom and self-determination. And they're just like, yeah, that's actually completely irrelevant. And then, yes, they proved it was completely irrelevant. He was totally assimilated. And it, it was really interesting. I, I wondered for a while, I did a little looking into it, like why would the Borg even bother creating a speaker for a new race or for a new quadrant that they wanted to develop when, when their technology is so superior and they probably could just brute force it. I mean, I was thinking about other Star Trek episodes, other encounters with the Borg. They'll make it easier on themselves if they can. So if they do have someone to move that path, why not take it? That is the most efficient way to go about things. I do respect their respect for efficiency. <laughs> and I thought it was just horrifying to see, especially when he was lying on that table, when they were doing some modifications and updates and he that one single tier. And it made me wonder how fast does the assimilation of the mind take over? So obviously not right away. There's still something there, maybe when you're assimilated as an adult or within the first few days or weeks. It was pretty horrifying. What did you think? We saw so much of the Borg and TNG, obviously in Star Trek First Contact. He was in that movie. But I went to season two of Picard because it made me think of Seven of Nine. And in season two of Picard, she was an alternative universe where she was not assimilated. And she grew to womanhood, adulthood, I should say, as a human female. And it was not something she experienced because she was assimilated as a child. And I thought a lot about that and how you can lose your humanity Uh, by being assimilated like that and how she lost hers. And a large part of her journey as Seven of Nine was to regain that humanity. And that's continued in the two series, Picard's one and two. And it's become in many ways more poignant to me. And there's lots of other Borgs that I have not talked about that it's equally poignant to. But I really thought about Seven of Nine in Picard season two. And what she realized she had lost when she lived in this alternative universe. So it actually, going back to Best of Both Worlds, the Lakuta scene was even more poignant for me. So we end part one with one of the gray (laughs) cliffhangers of her ordering Worf to fire. Way to be a captain, man. (laughs) Way to be a captain. And the beauty of that for me was in that moment, He completely accepted he was a captain. He had to do what was best for the ship, and he did it without. And I thought it was not only a great cliffhanger, but a very powerful scene for me as well. What about you? No, it was a great ending. It was a great ending. you You always knew he had it in him. But getting to see it, and just, again, right before, it was not just an episode, it was a season end, too. So I'm trying, like... Imagining watching it live back in the day, that would have been that would have been amazing. But no, I thought it was a just fantastic ending to to a really good episode. So let's move to part two, where we find out what happens. Uh, <laughs> they fired a weapon, and it didn't work. And it didn't work because the Borg had assimilated Picard's knowledge as well, and so they had anticipated Riker's move. And this is when the Enterprise learns what the assimilation process is. It's a two way assimilation. Mm-hmm. And so the Borg now has all of Picard's knowledge 
and that's beginning to dawn on them, they're going to have to do some serious either multi-level thinking or way outside the universe thinking or something. But before we get to that thinking, we have to go over what I think is the most poignant scene in all of Star Trek Next Generation. And that's when Guinan tells Riker she has to let Picard go. And Megan, even today, that was an incredibly powerful scene to me. It was everything you could want in a from a mentor in an interpersonal relationship from as minor a character as there can be, God being the biggest words of wisdom in the show. And it made me even more proud of her if I could have even been more proud. But I just loved her in that scene. What she said was absolutely right. And I just look, looked at it again and went, wow. I, I like that I like that scene too, especially because it was really, her people were destroyed and assimilated by the Borg. So any interaction with them has got to be really fraught. But she was so giving of herself. And I, I liked also the kind of interplay between her and Riker. Riker was not pleased that she was coming into his room to have that little chat. He did not feel he had time for this. But as you say, he got the, I think both the kind of pep that, that he needed, but also the inspiration for the fact that he does need to, he can't be like Picard. He can't try to emulate Picard because now all of the Picard knowledge is with the Borg. So I think that was part of what helped hammer home to him that he really needed to think outside that, that particular box. And that really led to the next interesting scene for me, which was the separation of the saucer from the ship. And the thought was that the ship, which had the weaponry, would attack the Borg in a way suggested by Shelby. And Riker goes a completely different way and has the saucer do the heavy lifting. And that was an example of non-Picard thinking. So anything for you from that scene? Yeah, and I think that was even more the case because both of those things were ultimately ploy, right? To give the Wharf and Data away team time to sneak in, steal the Picard and get home. <laughs> Which I think was even further away from what Picard would assume because he would never sanction that particular mission. So that was really a, a great demonstration of his new understanding that he has to behave differently. Then we had another great away mission where Data and Worf are actually are able to go on the Borg ship and recapture Picardus, excuse me, Locutus slash <laughs> No, no, Picardus, you can let that stand. <laughs> okay. That's fair. And they bring him back <laughs> and they were able to use the Locutus part of Picard or the Borg knowledge in his head to defeat the Borg. Now, he communicated that to Dr. Crusher, I think, but it showed that there was a human in there and that he still existed. And once again, an equally powerful from that, for that moment, for me, that scene was very powerful. What about you? I thought it was really interesting that connection ended up being made by something that seemed quite equivalent to a Vulcan mind melt, which has been such a big plot point in other episodes or Caesar. So I thought that was really great, especially considering the relationship between Data and Picard, which I've always really enjoyed, almost as much as I enjoy the relationship between Geordi and Data. But no, I thought that, the and again, a really interesting parallel. Picard has become made more machine. Data is a man made of machine. So the fact that they were able to interface and link in that way, I thought was really nice. It was great. Both episodes were great. There were some themes I wanted to explore with some of them we touched on, and I wanted to start on Riker in Command. And not to rehash what we previously talked about, because you suggested something new that I wanted to explore, which was that 
You're right. Riker cannot be Picard. No one can be Picard. Only Picard can be Picard. Now, you can take some of the strengths that you see from Picard, but Riker's not going to be Picard. He's going to be Riker, and he's got to be Riker. And that we all should take that lesson that, yes, we can have mentors. Yes, we can have people we've looked up to. But if we assume leadership, we have to incorporate everything that's inside us as into that leadership as well. In another TNG episode, Riker split into two people, and we see obviously a different side of Riker. So I know that side's in there. He was called, uh, he was named Tom Riker. And I just thought that actually you got me to thinking that I could see Riker leading the Enterprise after the end yeah. of these two. In part one, I'm not sure I could have. And even when he gave the order fire, that was assuming part of the mantle of leadership. But it wasn't until the guy in talk, and I think he understood he couldn't be Picard. He had to be Riker, and he had to lead as only Will Riker could lead. Yeah, I agree. And I think it kind of deals with the idea a little bit, maybe getting into almost management theory. You can't really be accountable as a leader unless you're fully yourself. If you are trying to channel somebody else, you're always going to have somebody to blame if something goes wrong or to make you question your own success if things go right. So I think really being clear and that you're making your own decisions is a really good example of that. The next theme was the Borg assimilation of Picard. So this meant so much to the rest of the series. I'm going to leave it to you from there. I think, I mean, it was just, it was the assimilation of the Borg entity of one individual human, but Picard really is representative of the Federation as a whole. And I think maybe why they ended up selecting him. And I think for everyone, every member of the Federation, one of the more horrifying possibilities in terms of who's going to be assimilated and who is then going to lead the assimilation of Earth, then Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Starship Enterprise. Symbolically, it was a terrifying, like it was an act of terror. To, to choose him. So I thought strategically great choice, Borg, and thank you writers for also giving us that experience. The I know what the character Seven of Nine meant to you and continues to mean to you today. And in Picard season one, we saw the Borg have been defeated and they are now in many ways a persecuted minority. The, the antithesis of what they were in TNG and I thought there was a great pathos to them mm-hmm. in that Picard season one, particularly the board character. Thank you. And, and we saw, I mentioned First Contact, a big part of that movie was Picard dealing, still dealing with the hate he had for the Borg and just the rage inside himself. One character, we, we mentioned Seven of Nine, and but another character who was irreparably changed by the board, Borg was Benjamin, and mm-hmm. he was the main character of Deep, Deep Space Nine. But he lost his wife at Wolf Three Five Nine, and there was a. It, I'm not sure it was trying to be a poignant scene when DS Nine opened, where Picard was trying to say he was sorry that his wife died, but it came off very poorly. I thought. And yeah, it was not their best moment by a long shot. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that was by design or not, but it just didn't work. And early in DS9, I think there was a lot more discussion about being a single father, losing his wife. And then as I thought about it in the context of this, these two episodes, this is, I think, what led him to being the prophet. 
that if he had been married with Ben uh, with Jake, I'm not sure one he wouldn't have, have never gone out to DS9, and he wouldn't have got the chance to be the prophet. So I hate to say you're where you're supposed to be in the grand scheme of the universe. But if he hadn't lost his wife, we wouldn't have DS9 and we wouldn't have had Ben Sisko as the prophet, which really led that show in many ways. So it's a long-winded way of saying that this episode led to other shows. It led to great storylines. It led to stories that you and I are following almost 30 years later in anthology series and just great. Let me turn to Wolf 359 because I mentioned the destructiveness and the power of that And what I wanted to explore was, what do you do when you've lost everything? And I've never been in that kind of tragedy. I've had a few relationships end, had some financial troubles. So maybe I can draw on those. But what I thought was, you have to go back just to the basics of process. Do what you know. As we would say, take the next. uh, If it's one thing, I had a friend who lost a daughter. And she said, I try to do one thing a day. And whatever you have to do to get through that grief or terror. And my favorite story is I interviewed a woman in my hometown of Kerrville. She was very close to her father, took care of him till he died and was in deep grief. And all her life, she baked cookies. So she started baking to help get her out of her grief. And it's because it was comfort. It was something she knew and something she could do. And so I thought that Riker and the rest of the crew responded with almost robotic training that they said, okay, what do we do next? What do we do next? What do we do next? I don't, I'm just doing, I'm not thinking what I'm not feeling. I mm-hmm. should say, what do I do next? Even if I'm thinking any real thoughts on that topic? Yeah. I got something a little bit different from it because I was like thinking about it, like the, it was the meeting point of the Armada was completely obliterated, but the threat wasn't gone. There wasn't time to sit with grief or even acknowledge that grief was happening because of it for more than just a few minutes because earth is right there the borg ship is hurtling towards it i think it raised the stakes lowered the inhibitions for taking action and i think that was it was i don't think they would have been able to make all of the choices that they did if there hadn't been such a catastrophe the chain of command basically gone it is all on Will Riker now. It's the enterprise between the borg and earth filled with all of the rest of humanity the earth-based humanity and yeah i thought it it Push them, push them all to the next step as much as anything else. So now let me, maybe we can talk about how this episode rated for us, but I want to read some of the accolades that this episode got. TV Guides, 39, excuse me, 36 in the top 100 episodes of all time. The Washington Post ranked it as best episode of all Star Trek and the greatest cliffhanger in television history. Hollywood Reporter rated it as the second best episode in Star Trek series. The uh, How this episode is rated really across that part of popular culture is literally one of the greats. I rate it probably as the best science fiction I've ever seen on television. And I just thought it was absolutely fabulous. Couldn't say more. Some people rate episode one as a 10 in perhaps episode two, eight, nine, or seven. But for me, the package was just fabulous because what I saw in the Guinan speech alone took episode two to the heights 
of anything I could ever want. So did, do you have any real feelings about how it kind of rates on the Megan scale? Not so much on, on a rating scale like that. I think I tend to go more of the series as a whole. And I'm not very judgment, honestly. When <laughs> I like it, I'm inclined to be pleased. <laughs> and I thought it was great television. I thought it really was. And it was not just within the series of the Star Wars universe. I don't know if I've told this to you, my, my partner and I, what we're doing, our, our viewing this winter is Babylon 5. And it's really, it's my first time seeing it going through it. It's fantastic. And it's so interesting to see how these kind of early 90s science fiction franchises, both TNG and DS9, who was drawing influence from who. And just meant people were doing great stuff with television in the 90s. So I'm just glad that we get to see it. Well, that's a great way for us to end. I wanted to thank you again for indulging me and <laughs> a Star Trek on our MCU podcast, but I just had a ton of... That's perfect. No, and I love to know that now a, a random weekend text saying, hey, you want to do an episode on this topic? Now that's in play. I'm, I might be making some use of that. So stand by. <laughs> if I unleash the beast? Oh, it's on. <laughs> it's on. Thanks. And I'm looking forward to what we come up with next. Me too. Bye-bye, Tom. Bye-bye, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. If you'd like to explore a movie from a leadership angle, from a compliance angle, or from a just fun angle, shoot me an email at tfox at tfoxlaw. I'm always looking for some guests to come on Popcorn and Compliance. Popcorn and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I'd also like to urge you to check out the award-winning podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network, Hidden Traffic, the story of human trafficking and what you can do in the corporate world to help prevent it, presented by Gwen Hassan, also a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.